That's it. Mike's, Mike's onto it. Mike's onto it. Mike's onto it. Hey, welcome. Welcome to the new year. Like, uh, I'm pretty excited about this year. Pretty excited about a conference where the theme is prayer and power. I'm so looking forward to that. And actually, as we think about that theme uh, coming up, it's actually, prayer is actually going to be a bit of a theme for us in the coming weeks and months and, uh, and over this year. I believe it's a gateway for us to the things that God really wants to do in us and through us and in these suburbs. But I, I don't know about you, but I find personally... Uh, I can have an intention to pray more. I can be like, I want to pray. You know, for some of you, maybe you're really new to church and, and, and maybe you're not even a believer in Jesus. You're not sure what you believe about that yet. And yet I wonder if you've contemplated prayer at some point. You know, I wonder if you've been in a moment where, where you're like, well, this is pretty tricky. Maybe I'll reach out in prayer in some way. And whether you are a Jesus follower or not, I wonder if you can be like me sometime. You know, like, I want to I wanna pray more. And then you find yourself with sort of nothing to say. You're like, I actually don't know how to do that. I've seen it done pretty well, but I'm not sure I'm actually good at prayer. I'm not sure I actually know how to go about this. I can find myself a little bit like Jesus' disciples when they said the only thing they ever asked him to teach them to do was, was to pray. And I find myself asking that question, Lord, teach me to pray. It, uh, as we head into a new series today, we're calling it Rebuild in Nehemiah. And, and, and there are a number of themes that will come out, but throughout this series, you will notice a theme of prayer. It's a book that begins in prayer. It is a book that ends in prayer. And so what I want to do today is, is answer, use Nehemiah 1 to answer that question or that statement, that request, teach us to pray. Like, what are the components of prayer that we see? And actually, as you look at Nehemiah's prayer, it's one of the great prayers of Scripture in Nehemiah 1. It reflects Daniel 9 and a prayer there. Sort of the same components are there. And you see the same components in Luke chapter 11 as Jesus responds to that request. So his disciples teach us to pray. Before we get there, let me give you a little bit of a background on Nehemiah, like where we get to. Nehemiah is famous for rebuilding or pulling together a team that rebuild the walls of Jerusalem. And what you might not know, he's, he's also famous for not just rebuilding the walls, but sort of rebuilding the, the community around living as, as God would have Israel live. Now you might ask, well, well you might, I'm, I'm telling you that you should be asking, you know, why did Jerusalem need rebuilding? And the thing was, when I remember Exodus last year, some of you will attract with us in that. God enters into this relationship, into this covenant with one nation. He says, I'm going to give you this land, and I'm going to invite you to live according to these commandments. And when you do, you will be this beacon of light. You will be this sign to the nations around of what I'm really like, that they might be attracted to that. And the operative word in that is if you follow these commands. And Israel became famous for worshiping all sorts of gods and doing what seemed right in their own eyes. And there came a point where God said, enough is enough. And by that time, there'd been a civil war and you had 10 tribes in the north called Israel and they, God scattered them. And they intermingled with the nations. And by the time you get Jesus in the gospels, you find them referred to as Samaria. 
They're no longer really distinctively godly, distinctively Israel at all. But the two remaining tribes in the south called Judah collectively, they didn't learn the lesson from the north. They continued doing things their own way. They continued worshiping all these, all these different gods. They themselves had their own fair share of evil kings and gods like, enough is enough with you too. You're going to exile. But as they go, God promises them, I'm going to bring you back. And it came about with Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. He invades Judah and he, he carries people off to, to Babylon. And, and as you go down the line, the Medes and the Persians then invade, invade Babylon. And so you get a new king in town, it's King Cyrus, over this whole empire. And he begins to allow the Jews to resettle. And so some of them go back to the land and they start to rebuild the temple and they start to rebuild the wall, but the locals in the area aren't happy and they put a stop to it. They complain to the then king of Persia, Artaxerxes, and he says, okay, put a stop to it. Enter Nehemiah. Nehemiah is a cupbearer, a servant, a slave in the household of King Artaxerxes, the one king who has put a stop to the rebuilding of Jerusalem. And Nehemiah gets news from home about just how bad things in Jerusalem have got. And, and, and as God moves his heart to do something about it, the person standing in his way of beginning anything, of sort of returning home and beginning to carrying on the work of rebuilding the walls is the one king who has put a stop to the rebuilding, the one king he works for. And if he opens up his mouth in that king's presence about his own personal needs, surely he will die. And so Nehemiah, as he con contemplates the, the impossible task of getting home and rebuilding and even just getting into a conversation with this king, the first port of call in face of impossibility is to pray. And so with that as a bit of a backdrop to, to this moment, but also the series, would you turn with me? We're going to read Nehemiah 1 together, and I'm going to unpack some components of prayer with us. Nehemiah 1 says this, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, that's the winter capital of Persia, 1,500 kilometers to the east of Jerusalem, Hananiah, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that had survived the exile and also about Jerusalem. He asks about the people, and he asks about the city. They said to me, those who have survived the exile are back in the province, are in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. So the people are in disgrace, and the walls and the gates are burned. This sets up what Nehemiah is going to do, rebuild the walls and reestablish the people. Verse 4, when I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. This isn't one of the components I want to draw out this morning, but I do want you to note this. You know, often we think prayer is about our many words. Prayer is about, you know, saying the right things before God. Can I say first and foremost, when it really goes bad... <laughs> It's not about, it's about bringing your response, the reality of your response before God. He wept and he fasted and he mourned and he prayed over days. Who knows what he said? I bet sometimes he sat in silence just grieving and weeping, just bringing honesty before God. This is going on and it's awful. 
and I'm hurting. I, f- I find that is a great place to begin to pray. And after all of these things, it's like he's come to some realization. After these days, it's like he's come to some realization because then it then says, verse 5, then I said, This great prayer comes off the back of much time in God's presence, much time grieving, much time weeping and mourning and fasting and praying. And then he says this, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God who keeps his covenant of love with those who love him and keep his commandments. Let your ear be attentive and your eyes be open to hear the prayer your servant is praying before you day and night for your servants, the people of Israel. I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly towards you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. Remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses, saying, If you are unfaithful, I will scatter you among the nations. But if you return to me and obey my commands, then even if you're people are at the farthest horizon. I will gather you from there and bring them to the place I have chosen as a dwelling for my name. That is Jerusalem. They are your servants and your people whom you redeemed by your great strength and your mighty hand. Lord, let your ear be attentive to the prayer of this your servant and to the prayer of your servants who delight in revering your name. Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man, that is Artaxerxes, the king that he serves. I was cupbearer to the king. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we want to thank you for your word. Thank you that we don't need to try and grapple with the big moments, the big situations, the big issues in our life. We don't try and need to try and grapple with them or even this concept of prayer, this practice of prayer with our own thoughts. But God, we come to your word. I pray that it will more and more be the foundation, not just of a Sunday, but Lord of our daily lives. And so Spirit of God, would you open up this text to us today? illuminate it for us let it resonate in us and let tomorrow be different because of what you show us today we pray in jesus wonderful name come on give me a big amen amen Amen. that was medium but i'll let you off okay when you see four components of prayer that we see in this text, okay, it says, Then I said, verse 5, Lord, the God of heaven, the great and awesome God. I, I want to use the word here with this, this component to say he magnifies God. You could call it praise. You could call it adoration. You could call it worship. I want to use today the word magnify. Just look at the words he uses. He says, Lord. It's the translation of the word Yahweh. Yahweh comes from this. uh, It's a participle of the verb to be. And, And a good way, David Pawson says, a good way of translating that would be to say, God always. That's how he begins. It's like, God always. You always were, you still are, and you always will be. You were faithful, you still are faithful, you always will be faithful. God, you were good in the past. God, you're still good today. God, you always will be good. You are perfect, incapable of improving, incapable of deteriorating. You are Yahweh, God, always. And then he says, you're the God of heaven. 
You know, back then they had national gods. It was like the Philistines had their gods and the Egyptians had their gods. And people had this belief that God didn't really operate outside the the boundaries of Israel. But here, 1,500 kilometers from home, uh, surrounded by the worship of the the gods of, of, of the Persian Empire, Nehemiah says, but you're the God of heaven. You're not restricted by national boundaries. You're not not restricted by what other people think. You, before all things, are God. Above all and over all and through all, you are God. And that is indisputable. He says, you're the great. You know, great is used in the Bible to describe great numbers and great in size and great in wisdom and great in majesty and all of these things. And doesn't feel the need to explain it anymore other than to say, you're the very definition of great. Like you'll be on my comprehension. He says, not only are you great, but you are awesome. You're an awesome God. I don't know if you've ever been up on the hills here as you see like cruise ships go out into the Cook Strait. Recently, the girls and I were up on the hill and we saw Ovation of the Seas go out. One of the biggest cruise ships in the world. Now, I also go out in a little boat in that area. I go out in my kayak with the girls. We have a little paddle around there. And I want you to imagine just how awesome that ship looks like from the hill. Imagine how it would look in my little kayak. As that approached, I would be awestruck, I would be quite fearful, and I would be completely incapable of resisting it. And I think that picture of kayak to cruise ship barely scratches the surface of humanity and our God. He is awesome. He is fearsome, and and we are to be shaped by him. And it is inconceivable that it would be the other way around. Nehemiah says, you're great, and you're awesome, and, and you keep your covenant of love. He reminds God, you entered into a covenant with this people. Though you are great, and though you are awesome, and though you are like beyond compare, though you are eternal, and I feel very temporary right now, God, you have chosen to enter into a relationship with people, and you are faithful to what you have promised to do. That's where he begins. And I use the word magnify because it's like the familiar begins to take on new detail. My father-in-law, JR, he has a magnifying glass. And whenever I go there, I find the need to pick it up and just to study whatever's around there. You know, it doesn't matter whether there's a coin or a bit of fruit or just the bench top. And, you know, does anybody else do that? You just like, you see a magnifying glass, I'm just going to look through it. And suddenly the familiar bench top just takes on this new level of detail. Like, I've never been so interested in a bench top. And I just fear for some of us that we've gone, I know God. You know, I know he's love. I've heard that. I know he's peace. I've heard that. I know he's patient. I've heard that. Some of you, maybe you're not even a believer yet. You you don't know what you believe about God, and you've made some assumptions. I've heard about that. I've come to my conclusion. I'm not really that interested in discovering anymore. Can I suggest that that praise is, is this like magnifying glass where what has been familiar begins to take on brand new detail for us? 
It enlarges our view of God. It gives us a greater appreciation for who He really is. It is an element of prayer, I believe, is most important, and yet is the thing that is almost always overlooked. We jump straight to, God, I need this. I wonder how much our perspective of all that is going on would change were we to begin, were we to stand for a long time in moments of magnification of God. And the thing is, I believe it's really important because, one, we live in a culture that does the opposite, that diminishes everything about God, that says He's not important, He's irrelevant, and therefore our expectation of what God can do, our our thinking about what He is like is profoundly influenced by our secular culture. Even more important that we have moments like this in our lives where we come together and we magnify God. We find moments every day where we magnify God. I think it's so important because we so get fixated on little things, little things. Nehemiah could have been focused on his present situation, but he chose to lift his gaze to heaven and say, wow, you're the, you're the great God and you're awesome rather than get fixated in the details of what he needed in that moment. You know, we so easily get fixated on the little things. Some of you are obsessed with the number on the scales. Some of you are obsessed with the number on, your, on the latest bill, on the number, the, the shortness of the number of, of your paycheck. Some of you are obsessed with a diagnosis. You've reduced everything to that. Everything now revolves around that. And I just wonder, not belittling any of that, if we might be a people that go, okay, I acknowledge that. Seems real big right now, but I just want to lift my gaze to the God of heaven. I want to lift my gaze to the one who has stretched out by the word of his power billions of light years of universe. I just want to lift my gaze to him for a moment so that I can ensure that I've got a proper perspective on these things that are going on. I think it's really important for us to magnify God because we get so, we have a tendency to go elsewhere. Can I say that? I I think you could accuse, some people might accuse Nehemiah of escapism. You know, Nehemiah, you're ignoring the the reality of what's going on and the impossibility. You're so preoccupied with the God of heaven. It's like you've lost touch with the reality of what's going on. And I I fear people can have that tendency where actually we escape in a whole different way. You know, we try and deal with the pain of what's going on. We try and escape the, the, the reality of what's going on in, in Netflix or in alcohol or in running or in pornography or in work. And, and, and that's escapism because we're looking for something in that that we should be finding in God. And I want to say you will never, your soul will never truly be satisfied until you, until, you, until you leave those things. Not that there's anything necessarily wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. But it's like when they become your substitution for something you should find in God, there's a problem. And I think it's not escapism to say, I'm just going to park these problems here for now and I'm just going to lift my gaze. Because we engage, we remind ourselves that there's a bigger reality than what's going on right now. In the eternal, in the spiritual, in the heavenly, in the one who created you. The one who knows the end from the beginning and the one who knows how to walk you through this 
season. And so I want to say, how are you going to get magnifying God in your daily life? It's never been easier to get worship music into your life, whether it be, you know, typing souvenirs worship into, into, into YouTube or, or finding the latest Hillsong album or something like that on, on Spotify. Like, you can get worship. I've even been listening to the latest Kanye album, okay? Anybody? Like, Jesus is King. You love that. The Sunday service choir, man, they're awesome. And I've just been getting a bit of gospel choir in my summer. And uh, Jenny goes the other day, well, like, what are you thinking about? Oh, I'm just... Thinking about that melody, oh, it's so good. Like, he's awesome. But, but I've, I've just found ways of building into my rhythm praise. And, and, I, and I love to sing. And I realize for some of you, it's like singing's not your thing. But get used to it. Like song and music has been the theme of God's people throughout human history. And it will be the theme of the, of the practice of God's people for all eternity. I think there's something every single one of us can get by engaging more in the worship and, and, and music that glorifies uh, God. I think another way you can get this into your life is by going to some of the greatest hits of Scripture and, and reading them aloud. Start prayer time by opening up something like Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. All my most being praise His holy name. And it goes on and on and on. It talks about forget not all His benefits. And then it goes through so many of the benefits we have in Him. Can I suggest Psalm 103 for your, for your morning playlist? Read it aloud. Get, I, I used to write things down like on post-its and put them in my jacket pocket when I was, when I was at work. So that when I was in an elevator or something like that, I could just pull it out and, and read it because I wanted the worship of God in my life. I wanted to be sowing it into myself constantly. If you do nothing else, we're going to talk about a couple of things, other things real quickly. But if you do nothing else, note down one of those and go away and say, every day I'm going to read that. And I was going to say, Lord, would you show me what you're saying about yourself in that we have to be a people who magnify our God. The second component of prayer that we see in Nehemiah is confession. If magnification brings God into a proper perspective, confession brings ourselves into a proper perspective. Back end of, uh, of verse 6 says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. Notice he doesn't say, I can't believe you took us into exile. <laughs> That was so unfair. He acknowledges, actually, the root of our pain is ultimately sin. We're guilty of it, God. And one of the things I love about this is that Nehemiah doesn't say, hey, God, we're going to fix ourselves over here, and then we're going to come to you when we've got ourselves sorted. He says, I'm going to bring confession into the presence of God. I'm going to bring confession into prayer. I'm going to bring my weaknesses. I'm going to bring my failings. I'm going to bring my sin, those that, I, th those that I've sort of done unintentionally and those I knew what I was doing from the beginning, and I'm going to bring it to you and say, help. One of the things I love about the Lord's Prayer, similar thing, you know, when, when, when Jesus teaches his disciples to pray, we heard Chris talk last week about, about the fact that it begins with Father. I love that. 
As I've reflected on that word Father in the Lord's Prayer, do you know what it says to me? It reminds me when I was a kid and I'd make a mistake. I'd say, I've, I've broken something. It was completely my fault. Usually it was like a window with a ball, you know? We, we had a window with like four different slats in it, and progressively I broke every single one. And it's like I could go and say, Dad, I've done it again. Dad, I am the cause of my pain right now. I am the cause of this situation. I have done it. As a father, his heart is towards me to then help me out. When you make a mistake, when you screw up and you will at some point, and I know I will, The place to bring that is not away from God to try and fix yourself. The place to bring that is, oh God, you're my heavenly father. I've done it again. Help me fix this. Help me fix this. Maybe a how for you out of this. If confession is something that is missing from your prayer life. Go to Psalm 139. Verse 23, 24, it says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. Lord, I acknowledge it. Would you point out any error in me and then would you lead me in a brand new way? I noted that late in the piece. It's Psalm 139, verses 23 to 24. If you're a note taker, I am. I just want to say I'm proud of you note takers. (laughs) Bring confession into prayer. Then he goes into remembering. Okay, he goes, remember the instruction you gave your servant Moses. The situation with Israel was the fact that God said, if you obey my commands, I'll give you the land. If you don't, I'll exile you. And the thing was, God knew that the if was a when. (laughs) When you get it wrong, when you fail to keep my commandments, when I have to put you into exile. He promised right the way back in Deuteronomy, I'll bring you back. And, 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 and Nehemiah isn't asking this because he thinks God has forgotten. I think he's asking, he's saying, God, remember, because he needs to remind himself. Because the present circumstances have, have robbed him, of, I think, of an expectation uh, that, that God is going to keep his promises. Can I say to us, 2 Corinthians 1 says that for no matter how many promises God has made, they are yes because of Christ Jesus and the amen, the let it be, Lord, comes through us. Can I say that part of our prayer life needs to be, God, remember what you have promised to do. I need to remind my soul right now of what you have promised. And I'll just put some verses up on the screen. These are promises I just thought off off the top of my head. I'm sure there are hundreds and thousands. And as you read scripture, can I say, why don't you read it through the lens of God? What have you promised me? What truth can I stand on in this situation? Romans 8, 38, 39 says this, For I'm convinced that neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither the present nor the future, nor any powers, neither height or depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God. Nothing can separate us from the love of God. 1 John 1, 9 says this, If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. It's a promise. It's a promise. If you confess, if you say, Lord, I've messed up again for the hundredth time in exactly the same way. I'm doing well, hundred days straight. He is faithful and just and will forgive us. It's a promise. Matthew 28, 20, back end. I've just put B 
the back end of the Great Commission, Jesus says, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. You may feel alone. You may feel isolated. The promise of Jesus is I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Romans 10, 11. I think this is big for some of you who work in a really hostile, secular environment. And of the back of sharing, of talking about the gospel, Paul writes this. The scripture says, anyone who believes in me will never be put to shame. doesn't mean people won't say mean things about you. It doesn't mean people won't try and tear apart your faith. It doesn't mean it won't be hard, but it means if you have truly trusted in Jesus, ultimately you can never be brought to shame. It may feel like it right now, but ultimately you will never be put to shame. I want to finish uh, this section with this. Revelation 21. Like Jenny said, when she, we do communion because we declare Jesus' death until he comes again. Revelation 21 says this, And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among people, and he will dwell among them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain for the old order of things has passed away. You know, we need to remember God's goodness in the things that we go through. We need to remember God's faithfulness in the things that we go through. But can I, can I also acknowledge that I can't promise everything's going to be okay? Everything's just going to turn out fine. But I do know he conquered death and he's coming again. And he promises us a day we will wipe away every tear. Where death, a distant memory. Where mourning, crying, and pain will be gone forever. He has promised. Can I say the one who promises is faithful? How with this one can I suggest we read scripture through the lens of God? What have you promised me? What truth can I draw out that I can stand on today? I've said that I've closed my Bible. That was bad. I've said that um, I think some of us, our experience of prayer is asking and maybe missing those three components at times. Nehemiah does get to the ask, but do you notice what he says back in the verse 11? Give your servant success today by granting him favor in the presence of this man. That's it. Simple, clear. He knows whether he's going to get it or not. He knows when God answers or doesn't. He knows. It's just so clear. And do you notice he could have been overwhelmed? He didn't ask for, can I rebuild the walls? He didn't ask, can I, can I see the people restored into covenant community? He didn't ask, where am I going to get the timber from for the, for the gates? That comes later. He, didn't, he just asked for the first step. Don't be overwhelmed by the, by the status of the situation in front of you. Go through this sort of pattern. Go through these components. Even just worship. And then say, God, I could just do with this as the first step. This would be a great first step. This is what I need, first of all, right now. How with this? What's, what are you praying about? What's the first step? Can you articulate it really clearly and simply? Write it down. You know, Jenny and I have just begun over the last couple of years the simple discipline of I make her a cup of tea 
And then, we sp- and then I pray a long prayer while she sort of comes around. And then by the time I finish that long-ish prayer, she's then ready to, to, to pray a little bit. And we, we write down, like, one of you comes to us and says, I've got this big thing going on. We write it down. And over the last year, we've seen just some crazy things. Babies who had no business being born, being born. People who haven't been pregnant have been struggling along that way. Suddenly going, we're, we're this many weeks pregnant, we're this many weeks pregnant. And you don't even know about all of them yet. We've seen, we've seen people come to faith. We've been seeing people be baptized. We've seen miraculous changes of heart. We have seen miraculous provision of building just by going, God, this is what we need. God, this is what we need. Just real simple and clear, not flowery or anything. And if that has been our experience over the last year, and I hope you're going to hear some of those stories coming out over the next few weeks. What would this year look like if we said we're going to be a people of prayer? And if we do nothing else, we're just going to magnify and we're going to be honest about where we're at. We're just going to say, if, we're, if we've sinned, we're just going to be honest. If we've made a mistake, we're just going to be brutally honest and say, God, this is me. You're my father. I need your help. We're going to remind one another of God's promises. And then maybe just state some real simple things. God, this is the first step. Can I have this? Can you do this? And having done all of the other stuff, if if that doesn't quite come about, at least we understand, we've reminded ourselves, he's good, he's faithful, he's coming again, and I'm going to put the no or not yet into perspective. And so by way of response, I just wonder today, I I want to make this real practical. We ran long at the start, and so we don't quite have the amount of time I wanted for what we were going to do now, but I, I... So much time and prayer and effort goes into a message like this. Don't forget this by lunchtime. And so if you've got a notebook, take it out. If you've got a phone where you can note something, take it out. If, you've got a, if you don't have any of those things to write with, but you, have an, you could put an alarm on your phone for later today to remind you to reflect back, do that now and set it. And just I'm going I'm to just have some moments in silence, and I want you to think, out of those four components, what am I taking away? What is one thing that's going to be different tomorrow because of what God challenged me on today? Take a moment. Father, right now before you, I pray that you just bring to mind the most important thing, the one thing that you want each and every one of us to take away. God, would you bring it to mind?
Hey, when you're ready, just begin to stand. And we've got a few minutes left. And so I want to just begin, as I believe we must go on. I think Jenny said something so profound earlier. She said, if, you're not, if you find it difficult to pray these words, put your hands out. Let us pray with you. Let us pray alongside you. Let the words of these songs remind you of the greatness of God. Can we begin together in worship? Can we begin together by joining our voices together and saying, God, before we take one step from here, we're going to worship and we're going to praise. Father, thank you so much for all that you have done. Thank you most of all that you've demonstrated your great love to us in Christ Jesus who gave his life for us. Thank you for anybody in this place today who says for the first time, I believe that Jesus died for me. I believe in him as Savior to forgive me from all of my wrong. I, I, I say, Lord, I'm ready to follow you as the leader of my life. Thank you, Lord God, that you're faithful to forgive and to bring you life and to lead from here on in. Father, as your church today, we just want to take our eyes off today for a moment and say, God, we bring you our praise and our worship in Jesus' name. Amen.